Wintry weather on the south coast, snow falling and sticking in some areas, making for a messy day on the roads. The controversial deer call on a southern Gulf island. Parks Canada says the invasive animals have to go. Some residents disagree. The businesses are definitely struggling and they need the increase in visitors. Reviving Robson Street, the effort to attract shoppers to what was once a holiday hotspot. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. A special weather statement has ended for most of the south coast after snow fell in parts of the lower mainland. But whether you actually saw the white stuff depended entirely on where you were. The Fraser Valley was hit the hardest, leaving the roads covered in a slushy mess and slowing traffic to a crawl in some parts of Abbotsford. Several centimetres fell, coating trees and making the city feel a lot like Christmas. Environment Canada warned of accumulations up to five centimetres. On the Surrey Delta border, pedestrians braved the elements as snow fell early this afternoon at the intersection of 64th Avenue and Scott Road. Heavy, wet snow fell for almost three hours. That snow making driving a challenge near the Surrey-White Rock border. You can see it was accumulating on the roads and sidewalks. By about 2.30, it had turned to drizzle and rain, slowly washing the snow away. Snow was good news for the North Shore Mountains. The road up to Cypress Provincial Park was covered with snow, though drivers seemed to be taking the conditions in stride. In the British properties, wet, heavy snow covered the roads before rain started late this afternoon, gradually washing the white stuff away. Cold weather is on the minds of a local charity geared towards babies. Baby Go Round is putting together winter weather protection kits for children who may not have the clothing they need this winter. The kits include winter boots, jackets, snowsuits and mittens, items that can often be too expensive for low-income families. Baby Go Round plans to distribute hundreds of kits this winter with the goal of ensuring all families can properly clothe their babies throughout the winter. Most of our clients don't have vehicles, so that means that the parents are transporting their babies in this weather. It's raining, it's possibly snowing, but it's cold. And so they're, they're walking or they're taking transit, but either way, their baby is exposed to the elements. And so what we are trying to do is provide that critical gear that they need to keep their baby warm and safe while they're outside. Baby Go Round was first established in 2012 as a way to serve vulnerable families around the Lower Mainland to provide everything they need to safely care for their babies. All right, meteorologist Yvonne Shell has more on why some of us saw snow and some of us didn't get any. Yvonne. Yeah, it was temperature dependent, also on the intensity of the precipitation. Now, we are seeing temperatures above the freezing mark. That's just along the west end, reported out of the airport. But areas into the Fraser Valley, we still have seen temperatures close to or hovering the freezing mark. Many areas are still seeing that transition. We are going to be seeing it changing over to rain, especially as we get overnight tonight, and then taking us in through the day tomorrow as temperatures do bump up. A 
A quick glance at a few other numbers right now. Squamish sitting at the freezing mark. Areas near Victoria now have bumped up to 7 degrees, but that precipitation for most areas, especially overnight tonight, will be seeing that change over to rain. Quick glance, though, at some of the numbers that we did see. So it was localized, but Whistler getting up to 10 centimeters. Abbotsford, 6. Coquitlam, 5. These are unofficial numbers, but just to give you an idea, Surrey at 4 and Courtney at 2 centimeters. We do still have a significant amount of snow on the way for traveling along the mountain passes, even the risk of freezing rain. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Travis? Okay, thanks, Yvonne. A controversial plan to cull deer on a southern Gulf island is underway, with hunters shooting deer from helicopters on Sydney Island. Parks Canada argues eradicating deer on the island is needed to protect the ecosystem, including the coastal Douglas fir, which only grows on the south coast and Pacific northwest. Paul Johnson has exclusive details of the operation. You're seeing a controversial wild animal eradication program underway on Sydney Island near Victoria. This video was shot by island residents who said the aerial gunning component of Parks Canada's deer eradication program began Wednesday with this red helicopter seen flying low, doors open and shooters perched with their rifles. And paths on the island were marked with these signs, warning of the danger of gunfire. I think we've been quite hoodwinked, in fact. I don't think we've been told the truth about uh, what Parks Canada was planning to do. What a great day for a protest. The project has faced controversy for months, despite a narrow vote by islanders to approve it. Many other Sydney Island residents and non-islanders said Parks Canada did a poor job of explaining the operation early on. And they questioned both its necessity and whether hundreds of deer could be humanely killed from helicopters. It seems very inhumane. If a deer is wounded, how will they ever find it? Parks Canada insisted the mass kill was necessary because non-native fallow deer were eating too much of the island's native plants. A small portion of the island is a national park, and that's where work has been underway to restore the original vegetation. The $6 million eradication program had the support of a local First Nation and the BCSPCA, who said an observer would be on the scene on shoot days to make sure the deer were being killed humanely. Despite a months-long campaign by critics to try and stop it, including reaching out to federal MPs, the aerial gunning component of the program took place on schedule. Parks Canada confirmed it began on Tuesday and will wrap up by the end of Sunday. They expect to release the number of deer killed in the coming days. Paul Johnson, Global News. Mission RCMP have identified a suspect vehicle in connection with the shooting in a Superstore parking lot on Wednesday evening. The vehicle is described as a newer grey Jaguar SUV which was seen fleeing the parking lot. The vehicle was found burned in Surrey later that night. A 41-year-old mission man who is known to police was shot several times and suffered serious injuries. Mounties believe the man has ties to the BC gang conflict and is now recovering in hospital. Anyone with information is asked to call Mission RCMP. The holiday season is upon us and thousands of meals were prepared at the annual Union Gospel Mission Christmas Meal, helping to bring the downtown east side community together. 
3,000 plates of turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy and pie were served to those who might otherwise not experience a traditional Christmas feast. One of those people is Abdul Karim Hassan, who is a refugee currently living at UGM and spending his first Christmas away from his wife and three kids. I consider the UGM to be the hand of God in my life because as an immigrant coming to a new country not knowing what I'm facing, as someone from Africa with a name like Abdul Karim, I never expected a Christian organization to accept me into their home. So when I walked into the UGM, I didn't have any hope. I just walked in and the first person I saw, I told him about my situation. He didn't ask me my name, where I came from. He directed me to the person I, I was supposed to speak to to get a bed. More than 5,000 people experience homelessness on any given night in Metro Vancouver, and the UGM says they're seeing more families this year. A recovery house operator in the Fraser Valley is worried about keeping the lights on this holiday season. Joshua House is facing a massive hole in its budget as inflation eats into the recovery home's budget and causes donors to rethink their financial contributions. Julia Foy reports. Tucked away on a quiet street in Abbotsford is a place called Joshua's House. It's a temporary home for Mike Crossan. I'm uh, headed to see my kids for the first time in six months. Crossan fell into addiction after his brother died. He's one of 107 men at eight homes who are overcoming a life-and-death battle with drug addiction, many from Vancouver's downtown east side. It's important because we give men hope that have no hope. They think that uh, everything's gone and... Uh, not. The journey begins here up at the creek, a camp on a mountain road near Chilliwack Lake we first visited in January. Ended up back up on the downtown east side. Joshua House is a registered mental health and substance use home. The program is faith-based and it receives funding from the B.C. government and some churches. But operators say the cost of living is pushing the nonprofit organization to the brink. Our gala, we had forecasted that we'd make over 100000 not even close. And it's sad to me because people are hanging on to their money. All food, transportation, um, clothing, toothbrush, toothpaste, all their supplies. We reached out to the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Jennifer Whiteside, to ask if she could comment on whether they are looking at helping Joshua House fill their budget hole. She declined our interview. Instead, staff provided some details which indicate how different the per diem pay rate is across the sector. 2019 pay increases for patient care per day. Mental health and substance use homes went from $31 to $36. Licensed mental health homes went from $30 to $45. And licensed substance use homes went from $40 to $45. Why do they? I don't know. I honestly don't know. We even tried to find out why they're giving different funding for different places that are doing essentially the same thing we are. For now, Korkowski is praying for a way to cover a $70,000 budget shortfall. Many of the men who cycle through the Joshua House program say every dollar helps. Well, I lost everything. I lost my wife. I pushed away my family. And uh, for the first time in uh, about three months, I get to talk to my daughter. As for Crossan, for the first time in months, he's looking forward to the future. Makes me feel awesome. Very blessed. Julia Foy, Global News. 
A coalition of housing advocates are demanding action from the federal government, urging them to address how women and gender-diverse people are uniquely impacted by Canada's housing crisis. There are 15 actions that the group is calling on, including building 50,000 social housing units over the next decade and ensuring gender-based equity funding for national housing investments. The group says women and gender-diverse individuals are further marginalized when it comes to housing because of their needs. We know that women-specific shelters are scarce, but then when we look, when we look at shelters that provide a gender-affirming care or, or any form of uh, gender-affirming services, the scarcity is furthermore. So really, when we in- include gender diversity in our conversation, we're looking at people at the intersections. We're looking at people who are further invisibilized because they have uh, identities that they uh, identify with that are not represented in the needs Um, that are being served at different services. The coalition is being led by the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network, along with the National Indigenous Housing Network. Still ahead, the bid to abolish the park board continues. The next step Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim is taking and the council support he'll need. And shoppers taking a closer look at cantaloupe following a deadly salmonella outbreak in Canada. Vancouver's mayor is wasting no time in his bid to abolish the city's park board. Ken Sim is presenting a motion Wednesday asking the province to amend the Vancouver Charter and abolish the elected board. Management of parks across the city would instead fall to council. The mayor also wants to set a high bar for anyone who wants to close and sell off permanent parks. Sim's motion would require a unanimous vote of council along with provisions to hold a referendum on any proposals. With many people doing all their holiday shopping online, malls and shopping districts are looking for ways to entice people to visit brick-and-mortar stores. One of those areas is Vancouver's Robson Street, which is feeling the effects of inflation and the pandemic. Alyssa Thibault reports. On a dreary Vancouver day, shopping outside isn't the best for everyone. I hate the rain. <laughs> Look at Frosty go. But on Robson Street downtown, carol singers make the experience a little brighter. What do you think of the carolers? They're great. Everywhere is decorated for Christmas and everything, so yeah, it's super cute. <laughs> The free entertainment is part of the Holidays on Robson campaign to give retailers a kickstart heading into the Christmas season after a year of inflation, increasing labour costs and even theft. We've been through lots of ups and downs on Robson Street, but we're still here. Clothing store Plenty says there have been a number of incidents of shoplifting. There's definitely some, like, snatch and grabs, as we call it. Causing a rearrangement of the store layout. We've definitely had to re-merchandise a bit for that not putting like the highest ticket items on the front table necessarily, moving the tables back a little bit more. Other stores on the street, like so many businesses across the city, have also been the target of vandals. The businesses are definitely struggling and they need the increase in visitors to our business association. The Robson Street Business Association is set to spend $148,000 on security this fiscal year, a $20,000 increase from two years ago. But there has also been a slight increase in foot traffic compared to this time last year. Hopefully that will translate into businesses being able to be successful and grow their sales. Business has been slower, so it'd be great to have people come in store. Two weeks before Christmas is when stores normally start filling up with shoppers, but retailers say it's never too early 
to start getting gifts. Any day would be great for a rush to begin. <laughs> Alyssa Tebow, Global News. Still ahead, the latest on an oil slick in False Creek. Days after it was discovered, the cause of the spill has not been found, how it's affecting a local rowing club. And after the break, troubling claims out of Gaza, the report that says half the population is now starving and the desperate call for more aid. The World Food Program says half the population of Gaza is starving and is calling on Israel to free up the flow of aid into the besieged strip. Israel says it is preparing a system to allow more aid through, but aid agencies say that plan would still not be enough. It comes as fighting rages inside Gaza with more deaths from Israeli airstrikes. Many inside Gaza are enraged by the United States' decision to veto a call for a ceasefire in the conflict. Redmond Shannon reports. Another scene of devastation and death in Khan Yunus as Gaza's second city is flanked by Israeli tanks and troops. The result of the latest airstrikes is measured in bodies and etched on the faces of survivors. This man says the U.S. made weapons support Israel's killing of our women, children and elderly, adding that America's veto at the United Nations targets innocent people in Gaza. In contra. Against. On Friday, the United States was the only nation among the 15-member UN Security Council to vote against a resolution calling for a ceasefire, saying a full ceasefire was unrealistic. It is one of five permanent members that can veto. The UK abstained. Turkish leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan led the condemnation. He said a just world is possible but not with America. Israeli leader Benjamin Netanyahu thanked the US for its veto, saying other countries should understand that a ceasefire would just prevent the elimination of Hamas. The UN's World Food Programme says this ongoing war inside an area walled off from the world is like no other. Half of the population are starving. Uh, you know, Nine out of ten uh, are not eating every day. I mean, obviously, the needs are uh, massive. Deputy Director Carl Skow says Israel must allow for the full opening of the larger Kerem Shalom border crossing, rather than Israel's plan to use it as a staging post. We have food available in Egypt and in Jordan uh, to reach some one million people in one month. And so, you know, we have... We are ready to roll. On Saturday, one of the kibbutz communities attacked on October 7th confirmed that one of its kidnapped residents has been confirmed dead. On Friday, Hamas had claimed 25-year-old Saar Baruch was killed in a failed rescue attempt. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. In health news tonight, a salmonella outbreak across this country has now claimed five lives. 129 people across Canada have fallen ill. 15 of the cases are in B.C. The infections are linked to a brand of cantaloupes sold in October and November. Heidi Petrachik reports on what Canadians are being urged to do and the symptoms to watch for. The salmonella outbreak connected to Malakita and Rudy brand cantaloupes worries consumers. I do like cantaloupe. It's just when I heard about the outbreak, 
Um, I just stopped buying it until they resolve the issue. Very disappointed if you're getting sick eating food you think safe. The contamination detected during routine government testing of cantaloupe from Mexico. The public health agency won't give any details on the five people who died, but says most of those sick are either 65 or older or aged five and younger. And with that does come some individuals who report residing in a long-term care facility, a retirement home, or attending daycare. Affected whole cantaloupe, cut cantaloupe, and other products containing it are now recalled. Canadians urged not to eat it and to throw out any fresh or frozen product they may have. It can survive in the environment. It can be passed from person to person, passed into food. Salmonella bacteria can also pass between the hands and mouth. Symptoms of infection start within 6 to 72 hours of consumption and include chills, fever, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, stomach cramps and sudden headache. And those sort of uh, dehydration effects you get can be lethal. Three people have also died in the United States in connection with the outbreak, and 230 people are reported sick. One American food safety lawyer says there are likely many more. The CDC estimates that for every one person counted, there's about 40 other people who were sickened. So do the math. As Canadians now take a closer look into their fridges. Heidi Petrochik, Global News, Halifax. Still to come, Yvonne's got the forecast and we'll head to the Okanagan for a bond spiel. The Canadian Senior Curling Championships wrapping up in Vernon. Stay with us. Want to help us spread some holiday cheer? Jason, me, and the entire Global News morning team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. Police and firefighters will be on hand to add your gift to a mountain of toys. And you'll get to enjoy a free breakfast. For more details, you can go to globalnews.ca slash bc. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. A two and a half kilometer long oil slick on False Creek is forcing a major canoe club to keep its boats out of the water this weekend. There's been a noticeable sheen on the water since Monday's storm. The Coast Guard says it's been unable to find the source of the spill, but is working with the province and the city of Vancouver who are also investigating. It's also believed there's no safety concern to boaters and people in the area, but officials with the False Creek Racing Canoe Club say the oily sludge has been getting on paddlers' clothing and is a slippery hazard on the docks. In 34 years that I've lived here, I have not seen a spill this bad. We had to clean that boat that night because of all the black which is absorbed into the fiberglass. If it's absorbed on a boat, imagine what it does to you. First of all, you come off smelling, it absorbs into your skin, and we get concerned as a city when the E. coli is very high in the summer east of Canby Bridge, and yet we're not concerned now. The club will reassess its operations after the weekend. Okay, Yvonne's here now, and not officially winter yet, but it sure looked like it today. <laughs> yeah, it was a wintry mix, and we were watching it very closely. So what happens is we did see lots of areas with heavier precipitation that dropped the temperature, and we did see that transition over to snow. But it was localized, so depending on where you were, some areas were just tracking rain, but it was great news for higher elevations, the local mountains. I wanted to start off with a few photos that were captured. This one was in White Rock, some of the roads there. This one captured by uh, Elijah. This 
one from Joanne Clearbrook. This was taken in Abbotsford with some of the snowfall in Surrey. North Delta, this one was taken by Annie in a great shot. This one captured in Langley. So thank you everyone for sending in those photos. Once again, a quick snapshot. It was localized, but we did see reports. These are unofficial numbers. Whistler getting up to 10 centimeters in that range. Surrey, we saw anywhere between four and five. And even Courtney along the island got up to two centimeters of snowfall. Here's what we're looking at right now this evening. So it is going to be changing and falling as rain. For most areas, we've already seen that transition along the west end. We're currently sitting at four degrees and that temperatures are going to actually start to rise overnight tonight. So all areas will be changing over to rain. We can see that with Victoria out of the harbor currently sitting at seven degrees. Powell River at three. We still have some pockets of heavier rain, though, that are going to work its way in and extending in towards the Fraser Valley. Right now, we still have a snowfall warning with the potential between two and up to five centimeters. And that's for areas near Chilliwack and extending all the way in towards Hope as well. So we can see that right now. The special weather statement still for Chilliwack to Hope. I anticipate that'll end, though, quite shortly. And a few other areas to note across the province. We still have a wind warning that is in effect across the central regions, the central coast, rather, the northern regions of the island, gusts over 100 kilometers per hour. Snowfall inland near Terrace between 10 and up to 20 centimeters and across the central interior. We could still see anywhere between 2 and up to 5 centimetres tonight. Northern regions of the Okanagan extending in towards the Thompson with totals up to 10 centimetres. And if you're travelling along the Kootenay Pass, we've got accumulating snowfall. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. But I wanted to also point out, Coquihalla as well as the Kootenay Pass will see a transition. And it is, there is the potential to see the risk of freezing rain for tomorrow. So here's what we are seeing, though. Some bright spots along the north coast. We are going to ease off in terms of the precipitation across the southern interior. Tomorrow, different weather picture will have rain with temperatures bumping up double digits for Victoria. We're up to 10 degrees and most areas across the lower mainland. A soggy one for tomorrow, easing off by Monday. Bright spot, we're back into some sunshine on our Tuesday. Okay, thanks, Yvonne. The Canadian Senior Curling Championships wrapped up in Vernon this afternoon. The championships got underway on December 4th at the Vernon Curling Club. 28 teams participated throughout the week. With the event drawing about 150 athletes and coaches to the community, the economic impact is expected to be about a million dollars. Families, friends come, watch, stay, use the amenities, and that's where we build the economic impact. It draws everybody here, and uh, it's been a great time, a lot of camaraderie too. In the men's finals today, Nova Scotia beat Saskatchewan to win the gold. And on the women's side, Saskatchewan beat Ontario for the championship. BC is taking home bronze. Congratulations to all the winners. I have not curled before. I'm sure you'd be good at it just by looking at you. Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, I've got the look. I hear it's (laughs) not that easy. That's what I hear too. Yeah, it's not that easy. They make it look easy. Well, yeah, a lot more, I mean, curlers, uh, the top-end people are in really good shape these days. Back in the day, it didn't used to be. You know, you have to have uh, one drink in one hand, cigarette in the other, curling broom. That's, it's not like that anymore. It's not like not that anymore. anymore. I'm uh, sure uh, everyone up in Vernon was a top-tier athlete. What do you got coming up in sports? Uh, well, we have a hurricane warning, Yvonne. Usually okay. I leave this to you, but... <laughs> 
the Carolina Hurricanes are in town tonight, taking on uh, the Canucks. Carolina's lost three straight on their road trip, so they might might be a little ornery. Rod Brindamore is going to have them uh, going tonight. But the Canucks, in their last ten games, have uh, won one, lost one, so they're in a bit of a pattern. And uh, Rick Tockett's hoping his team will be uh, ready to go from puck drops. So we'll hear from him to set up the hurricane warning. Come hurricane on. into what we had snow, so we're... Yeah, yeah something, something's got to give. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Mary. Still to come, from Alaska to Argentina, one man's epic RV journey and the homemade solution to reducing his carbon footprint along the way. With the snow today on the Lower Mainland, it's obvious that winter has arrived. In most of B.C. and most of Canada, winter means dusting off the skis and the skates and getting outside. But what does the future of winter sports look like? In a warming Canada, Global's Uday Rana reports. When Ottawa residents see crews on the ice, they know that winter is coming. The Rideau Canal has been described as the world's largest outdoor skating rink. Ottawans hit the ice every year with their families, but the skating season has been getting shorter. Last year, the ice did not freeze. University of Waterloo professor Daniel Scott has been predicting this could happen for 15 years. He told Global News that the future of all winter sports in Canada may be on thin ice. A lot of the outdoor activities that Canadians rely on, you know, and there's been studies on outdoor skating rinks and things like that, they're all, you know, their seasons are getting shorter. A recent report which Scott co-authored warns that ski areas across Canada will soon need to rely heavily on machine-made snow. But it's expensive and it takes a lot of water. Paul Pinchbeck is the president and CEO of the Canadian Ski Council. Anybody that, that sort of says that climate change isn't going to affect winter sports is, uh, is perhaps a bit, uh, bit off track. I mean, we, are, we at the ski industry in particular uh, look at, uh, at climate change as... Uh, a a serious threat to our industry. Pinchbeck says many ski areas are already turning to snowmaking and snow harvesting. But that's harder to do for sports like snowmobiling or cross-country skiing, where the trails tend to be hundreds of kilometres long. Scott says outdoor sports in early winter and spring may become less common. Canada's winter sports industry gives the country a competitive edge in tourism. Skiing in Canada, for example, is a $4 billion industry. But climate change may throw cold water on future plans. For now, though, all eyes in Ottawa remain on the Rideau Canal and how long, if at all, it can freeze for this year. Udirana, Global News, Toronto. A man on a journey from Alaska to Argentina is trying to educate people about reducing their carbon footprint. He believes we all have the tools around us to improve the quality of life for future generations. Dave Branco from CKPG News reports. For many, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. For Febrion Bebrion, he started with a bang. And that's the power of hydrogen. Bebrion has built his own on-demand hydrogen generator to complement his carbon-burning RV. Becoming more self-sustainable is a win-win situation for you and the planet that we live in. And we do this through small steps like uh, growing our own food, uh, creating our own fuel if possible, okay, and also trying to minimize our carbon footprint in every single way possible. 
Periodically, he stops and fills up with gasoline and water to get to the next leg of his journey. And I have a very small one that if you have that in your house with just a solar panel and a small battery of, of, of a car, you can produce three liters per minute of hydrogen. Now you add it up throughout the whole day. Make the math. Pebrion is not suggesting that people make their own hydrogen gas plants. He just wants people to challenge the government or companies to develop products that will help future generations. So I start doing things with the environment. And in 2007, I get related with, with uh, clean fuels. And I start uh, working with hydrogen. I put a company of hydrogen in Colombia. I play a lot in every single vehicle that I had in USA, in Los Angeles. And I actually did um, a campaign throughout the whole Argentina, 23,000 kilometers in a motorcycle with hydrogen uh, five years ago. And now that I started in Alaska a couple, couple months ago. The journey for Berrion will take a few years with plans to stop and share his learning on protecting the planet. We're going down, that's for sure. It's just a matter of if we wake up on time, uh, we can minimize the collateral damages of our behavior. Dave Branco, CKPG News. Good luck to him on that journey. After the break, Barry's here with sports. The Canucks in action tonight and hopes dashed for Jays fans. Superstar free agent Shohei Otani chooses Southern California over Toronto. the holiday spirit with the Salvation Army's Christmas Kettle Campaign. The campaign is one of Canada's largest and most recognizable annual charitable events. There are more than 2,000 kettle locations across Canada that support a wide range of Salvation Army programs. Step into the world of movie magic at Martini Town, Langley's very own exterior film backlot. The Martini Town Merry and Bright Festival will feature decorated film sets, photos with Santa, food and more. For RBC, I'm Yvonne Schell. In partnership with BC Cancer Foundation, with you, life beyond cancer is within reach. Give at bccancerfoundation.com. Barry's here now. Uh, there's a hurricane in town tonight, as you said earlier. That's right. We'll see. We'll see what comes of that. Thanks, Travis. The uh, Canucks continue their homestand tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. Seven o'clock puck drop. The Canes have lost three straight. They're a good team, so Rod Brindamore's guys will be hungry for a win. Canucks have been consistently inconsistent the past ten games, alternating wins and losses in that span. They've not won two in a row since mid-November. And Rick Tockett is trying to come up with ways to get his guys to get engaged in games from the opening faceoff. A full, complete game where we can, after the game, everybody's like, obviously, everybody wants the results uh, to win, but it's, it's more the, the process of the, the game, you know, right from the start to the end. Can we put a full 60 where we're, we're dialed in? I always feel as a player, when I used to play, I hate being that guy, but just maybe get in the game with a hit or like, a, a, like some kind of... Doesn't always have to be contact, but maybe just if I'm a four-checking guy, you know, make, tell the defense, put in my corner to start the game. Those little things, short-term goals really help, I think, get you in the game instead of thinking too much. Oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. And next thing you know, you haven't touched the puck in 10 minutes because you're thinking too much. So we talked about that today. I love Rick Tockett. No cliches from that guy. NHL today, Devils and Flames from Calgary. Late first, Flames shorthanded, but Igor Sharangovich, the former Devil... Gets in alone, slick move to beat Vitek Vanacek. Shorthanded goal, 1-0 Flames, but early second. 
Flames give it away, and it's costly. Nico Heischer fires past Dustin Wolf, getting a chance in goal with Jacob Markstrom out with the broken finger. And Wolf's played well. He's been very good in the AHL with the Calgary Wranglers. Third period, 2-1 Devils. This time, though, Wolf with the bad clearing pass intercepted. Alexander Holt shot off Timo Meyer. 4-2 the final. Devils win their 3-0 in their Western road trip. They visit Edmonton tomorrow. Speaking of the Oilers, Connor McDavid did this last night versus the Wild. Heard off the rush. Nugent Hopkins. Speaking about a pass. McDavid cuts in. Waits. Waits. Tucks it home. Connor McDavid. A virtuoso. Game time goal. His night. And it's 2-2. Absolutely ridiculous goal. Yeah, McDavid is on a tear. Two points last night. He's got three goals, 15 assists for 18 points during the Oilers' six-game win streak. So I guess he's been somewhat responsible for it. He has moved into seventh in the NHL scoring race. He was 92nd in the scoring race about three weeks ago. All right, today, Vegas Golden Knights at Dallas. Rematch of last year's Western Conference Final, won by Vegas, of course, the Stanley Cup champs. And it was one-way traffic this afternoon. Mark Stone cashes his own rebound. 3-1 Vegas after one, and they kept piling on in the second. Stone with the steal. We'll find Nick Waugh, who rips it top glove past Jake Ottinger. Golden Knights pummel the Stars 6-1. Vegas first in the Western Conference with 41 points. And Predators and Leafs from Toronto. Roman Yossi and his club, 8-2 in their past 10. They've played well, but the Leafs get the icebreaker. Late second, David Camp races in. Roofs it past Kevin Lankinen. 1-0 Toronto, and then later in the second, Leafs on the attack. William Nylander's shot gets through Lankin and Austin Matthews, taps it in for his 17th, later added his 18th in Toronto. That's just gone final. Win it by the final of 4-0. Last night in Abbotsford, baby Canucks and Coachella Valley. They're the uh, Kraken farm team opening period. Canucks score first. Pretty passing play. Tristan Nielsen to Jack Studnika to Sheldon Dries. 1-0 Canucks, nice little move by Dries. Firebirds went up 2-1, but the Canucks would tie it at 2. Tristan Nielsen again. He's starting to heat up offensively. One-timer makes it 2-2, but mid-third, Shane Wright, Seattle's first-ever draft pick, will score. 4-2 Firebirds win. Same two teams tonight, 7 o'clock in Abbotsford. Well, sorry, Blue Jays Nation. Shohei Otani is going Hollywood. Otani today made his decision, and he's going with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are paying him a record $700 million over 10 seasons. The $70 million yearly salary is the highest in Major League history by a mile. He won't pitch this coming season, so he'll just be a hitter. So if he has 700 at-bats, that would work out to 100000 per at-bat. But I repeat... That is before taxes. The 29-year-old Otani is the reigning two-time AL MVP. He had 44 homers last season. He stays in L.A., moving from Anaheim to the Dodgers. So not a surprise he picked L.A. over Toronto. Maybe surprising the Jays were even in the mix. But they finished second, which is no prize. Otani is a Dodger. All right, some soccer now. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool with a chance to take top spot in the Premier League with a win at Crystal Palace. Liverpool down a goal in the second half. Mo time to waste, so Mo Salah will score. That's his 200th goal for Liverpool, and it's tied 1-1. And then, as they look like it's headed to a draw in the 90th minute, Harvey Elliott with the stunning winning goal. Liverpool win 2-1. They take top spot 
in the English Premiership. Now, Arsenal needed a win to keep pace and go ahead of Liverpool. They're Villa Park. Great season for Aston Villa, who are amongst the leaders. Leon Bailey, nice little cutback here for John McGinn, who turns and fires into the back of the old onion bag. 1-0 Aston Villa. He had some late drama, though. 90th minute, Kai Havertz will do everything to get the ball over the line, and he does. But the referee spotted a handball, so they go to VR, and yeah, there was a handball there. No goal, 1-0 the final. Villa now solo third, just two points behind Liverpool. Arsenal dropped to second. MLS Cup, by the way, Columbus beat LAFC 2-1. Rugby sevens from Cape Town, South Africa. Canada's men, big upset wins over New Zealand and Samoa. Then took on Australia in their third match. Unfortunately, the Aussies uh, beat them 26-7. But Canada is advancing to the Cup quarterfinals where they will uh, take on Argentina. And our women also advance to the Cup quarters where they will take on New Zealand. And we've got some golf from Florida. The Grant Thornton Invitational Team Event with one LPGA player, one PGA. Today playing alternate shot. Lexi Thompson takes care of business all by herself on the par 3 16th. That's a hole-in-one. She and partner Ricky Fowler tied fourth at 16-under. The all-Canadian duo of Brooke Henderson and Corey Connors. Brooke with the birdie here. Connors and Henderson also at 16-under, tied for fourth. Now, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor partnered with China's Ruoning Yin, the second-ranked woman in the world. Almost holes out here for birdie at the finishing hole and just missed. So a 2-under 70 today for Taylor and Yin. They're also at 16-under, tied for fourth. Aussies Lydia Ko and Jason Day lead the way at 20-under. The format tomorrow is better ball. Not butter ball, better ball. They actually both drive. It'll switch balls, play it in, and whoever has the better score, they'll take. So better ball. It's fun. Better ball. Would have been tough for Otani to say no to that record contract. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe the Blue Jays would have, would have uh, paid that. Maybe, but... I don't know. I, everyone knew he was going to L.A., but Toronto was dreaming. So no chance. Million. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Barry. All right. Thanks. After the break, we'll show you a Kamloops family's impressive Christmas display, and it's all for a great cause. Stay with us. Well, if you like cake, Germany was the place to be. This massive Christmas cake, known as Stolen, stretches 4.6 feet wide, weighs a whopping 1.8 tons, and is filled with over 1.4 million raisins. Local bakers who helped make the delicacy walked in a parade behind the tractor pulling the massive treat. Every year since 1994, crowds have gathered in the city of Dresden for Stolenfest to celebrate the nearly 300-year-old cake traditionally consumed during medieval fasting. A Kamloops family has set an ambitious target for their Christmas light display, lighting up their community and raising funds for worthy causes. CFJC reporter Adam Donnelly introduces us to the McNutt family, who recently hosted a special guest. Down Santa Claus Lane. For one special guest who traveled a long way for the big reveal, it's always impressive to see how much work goes into the display. I kind of, I know the guy that does it, and I know the guy that knows the guy that does it. And, uh, yeah, they, they put a lot of effort in, and uh, it, it pays off. We start uh, end of September, start of October. We just finished, actually, today was the last, like, few pieces put together. But um, it t- does definitely takes a lot of work, but it's worth it in the end. This year, Cassie McNutt and her family hope to hit the $80,000 mark for monetary donations to the Kamloops Hospice Society. They've already taken in more than 50000 in donations, and they're offering a province-wide 50-50 draw to help them reach their final goal. 
for the 5050, um, it goes up to 100 grand, but we're just over 10,000 right now. But it goes all the way till December 20th, so we're just trying to get as many people as we can to participate. All the proceeds will go to the hospice, and one lucky winner will win half of whatever we raise. Santa has plans to visit the display when a schedule allows him, mostly because the McNutt family has a special place on the nice list. They've gone right to the end of the book, and they're good all the way. They're, the amount of work and what they've done is, is amazing, and w they could not do it without the, the citizens of Camelot and everybody helping. For Cassie, it's the smiles on the faces of the neighborhood kids that make all that hard work worth the effort. This is my favorite part for sure, like just turning on the lights and seeing all the kids and everyone being so happy, and it just makes it so worth it. Cassie's charity drive will be lit up and accepting donations from now until the end of the month. Adam Donnelly, CFJC News. That's a beautiful display. Can't believe they got an uh, interview with Santa. Can you believe that? Santa yeah. usually doesn't give the interviews. He'll yeah, just uh, interviews the kids. Not this time That's of year. He's it. so in demand. He doesn't have time, <laughs> but it's really nice to have him. One last... Kamloops got him, too. I mean, yeah. Kamloops. It everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One last look at weather. Uh, it's changing over to rain. It'll be heavy at times. Temperatures are actually rising uh, through the day tomorrow. All areas across the lower mainland will be tracking rain. We'll see highs up to eight. A few bright spots in there, especially Tuesday. And a look ahead towards Thursday, we'll actually see some sunshine. And on Monday, Highs up to nine. One and done for the snow, it looks like. <laughs> for now. For now. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great night.